Um, as the, the governor and Secretary Wyman uh, indicated, um, we're very lucky in Washington State in the sense that we have uh, a very secure, inherently secure uh, election system. Uh, with all of that, um, and because Secretary Wyman's office is very forward-thinking with in terms of cybersecurity and things like that, uh, the Washington National Guard has been partnering uh, with the Secretary of State's office for a number of cyber assessments uh, to essentially take, I wouldn't say uh, take things from good to great, but rather great to greater. Um, we're just trying to make sure that we, we, we look at every angle in terms of what the, uh, the threat environment looks like. Uh, we pro we'll perform a number of cyber assessments to make sure that uh, the, the election system is as secure as it possibly can be. Hello and welcome to another episode of Raven Conversations. That was Lieutenant Colonel Kenneth Borchers, the commander of the 252nd Cyberspace Operations Group based out of Joint Base Lewis-McChord. He was speaking at a press conference with Governor Jay Inslee and Secretary of State Kim Wyman. The purpose of the press conference was to highlight the National Guard's partnership with Secretary Wyman ahead of the upcoming midterm elections. Secretary Wyman, of course, oversees the state's election system. Coming up on this show, Sarah Morris and myself sit down with Colonel Borchers and talk about cybersecurity and the efforts they are taking to help make sure our election system is secure from hacking and bad state actors. So be sure to stick around for that conversation. But before we get to Colonel Borchers, I first sit down and speak with Deb Descolo, who is the Lead Family Assistance Coordinator at the Joint Services Support. Many of you know who she is, and if you don't, you really should. And if you don't know what the JSS is, I suggest you make a call or visit Camp Murray because they provide assistance and resources free of charge to service members and their families, as, as well as veterans. They're not going to turn anyone away. Everything from resume writing to yoga classes. We talk about the JSS and all the resources available to you. This is an episode you should be sure not to miss. Enjoy. Are you in need of a job? Well, it's time to update that resume. On November 14th, from 9 to noon, more than 70 businesses will be at the Armed Forces Reserve Center in Vancouver, Washington, looking for trustworthy service members just like you. Dress professionally, bring your resume, and be prepared to interview as representatives from industries like healthcare, construction, law enforcement, and government will be looking for talented people to fill their ranks. Call 360-735-4985 for all the details. That's 360 Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's WA National Guard and look for the blue check mark. Deborah Descolo? Yes. Thank you for coming on the program uh, with us today. Uh, could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and let us know like how long you've been working for the JSS? I've been working for the program for about 11 and a half years. I'm a family assistance coordinator. 
uh, here at Camp Murray, Building 3. And we have 11 FAST throughout the state. Okay. And what do they do for uh, service members? We help out with resource and referral, and that can include financial assistance, uh, VA claims, TRICARE, employment, ESDR, legal referral, counselor support. It's kind of everything that you can imagine under the sun. Wow, there's, that's, that's a, lot to, a lot of services you guys provide there. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about the, the services. Well, the teams, their requirements are they, they know the resources within their community. So the service members have the benefit of having a drilling FAS as well as a community FAS. So it's their job to know all the resource providers and know where that service member should go for the resources that that individual needs. Let's say that a service member is um, underemployed. We have within our program, under the JSS umbrella, we have Work for Warriors, uh, formerly known as Employment Transition Coaches, that we work with hand in hand and they can assist with the employment piece. We work with a variety of community partners and we're not the, the one program that does it all, but it's our job to know all of the resources to be able to connect uh, okay. the dots for that service member. So they can come to you for anything that they have an issue with and then you're just gonna reach out to your network and find a solution for them. Absolutely, we're, we're essentially the ones that connect the dots for that individual. If a soldier is, let's say that uh, they're not making ends meet, we do sit down with the individual and we assess what their needs are. Maybe they're underemployed, maybe they're not seeking the benefits that they fully should be seeking. Maybe they're not getting state benefits. We can sit down and we can apply for those benefits. We can go on the DSHS website. We can apply for food stamps with them. We can go through if they don't have medical, if they're not taking advantage of TRICARE, we can connect them with those resources as well. Um, underemployed, as I stated, you know, we connect them with our employment folks. Um, issues with their employer, we connect them with our ESGR, uh, counselor support. There's so many things that fall up underneath that, the JSS umbrella to be able to help out the service members. And we have all these hubs throughout the state. So, and the program is nationwide as well. So it's our job to, to basically be the Rolodex for those individuals and having all the resources. And on top of that, being able to, we have little events in each location, uh, backpack events that we do with resource providers. We're there as a resource provider, but at that time, the resource provider is giving out backpacks and school supplies. They do Thanksgiving events. The service members and their families and veterans are able to come out. They're able to get holiday assistance. Uh, Christmas time, same thing. Mm -hmm. There's never a need for a family to go without. Okay, so um, if I was a service member and I wanted to apply or to inquire about all the different services, how could I get in contact with the JSS? All, all they need to do is we have an 800 line. We are on call 24-7. Our number is 1-800-364-7492. And that number is manned 24-7. So um, the website, is there the Joint Services Support.org. Going on that website, we do promote all of our programs and every event that we have, and that is statewide. Whenever there's a stand down at each location, we provide that information on there. If there's information about job fairs, if there's information needed for um, 
even like a relax and, and unwind event that they're doing today. Um, Audrey is doing today here at Camp Murray. So there's a variety of events that are going on all the time and in multiple locations, even a trunk or treat that's going to be going on uh, next month. So what is a FAS's job or like how is it, how would you describe their their position because they're scattered throughout the state, correct? They are. You said they're drilling or they work on drill weekend? We do. We work on drill weekends and our job is, you know, we're there on drill weekends. So we're also there. We are also there during the week. Um, our job, we work there same time our service members are there. We're there from 6 a.m. till 4.30 p.m. We also stay after hours if we need to with our soldiers. If we need to, to meet off-site, we're able to do that as well. We are mobile. Um, if a service member says that they're not wanting to go into the armory, they want to meet at an off-site location, we're definitely able to do okay. that. What, where are the locations around the state again? There's Vancouver, Olympia, Pasco, Spokane, Yakima, here at the PCRC, uh-huh. Building 3, and Marysville, okay. and Bremerton. Okay. So at those specific armory locations, they have an office for a, a FAS. And then the service member can just, as you know, maybe they have 10, 15, 20 minutes to get away from drill, they can come see them at, at their armory. That's, that's how it works? Okay. Or they can give a call to that fast and they can set up an appointment right. or tell them what time works for them. Okay. We're very flexible. We work with whatever the schedule is for the, sol- the soldier or the family. Do you have any success stories that you can share without giving away names and stuff but and keeping privacy, obviously, but uh, anything that sticks out to you that you've, uh, over the years, that you look back and say, I'm you know, I'm pretty proud and glad that I that we were able to help this person. Well, I actually I have quite a few. Um, I think that any time that we can uh, help out a soldier and we can get them back on their feet, uh, be it get the utilities turned back on. Um, we did that last December. We had a family that had their power shut off and had been like that for a week. Um, we were able to get that turned back on, and that was with the benefit of uh, NGAW actually stepped up and helped us at the last moment. Uh, they were able to jump in and help us out with that. Um, it's community partners that we have built those relationships with to be able to get these resources for our families. Their job is to be kind of like a ninja. We kind of get in and get out with anyone knowing we're there. Uh, being able to do the holiday assistance, you know, the holiday assistance working with our community partners, helping out last year, there were over 1,500 families that were able to get holiday assistance last year. The, at the backpack event, the Elks Lodge were able to assist over 1,200 kids to be able to come through, to be able to get backpacks and school supplies and be able to meet with resource providers to hopefully not be in that situation again and be able to you know, better themselves and, and be in a better spot next year. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's quite a few things that really, you know, feed your soul and get you in a better way. Is there anything else that you'd like to share or anything that we didn't discuss that that our service members need to know about? We are 100% confidential. Whenever a service member or a family comes to us, we do not go to leadership. We do not go to leadership and tell them that Sergeant Smith or Specialist Johnson, you know, 
no one come to us. You know, the only time that we're going to leadership is if you're the one telling us that you want leadership involved. So everything that we do is confidential. Um, we're working with you. That's our job is to keep you warm, safe, dry, and fed. And we work as hard as you do. We want to help you. We want to help your family. And we want you to be in a better spot. And we are not an FRG. We're not volunteered staff. We are paid staff. And we are here for you. We're your asset. Deborah Descola, thank you very much for coming on our program. And um, thank you for all that you do for our service members and our veterans. And it's, uh, it's greatly appreciated. Thank you. Um, first of all, thank you for, for doing this. Uh, can you just, just for a little bit of background, can you go over your career a little bit and like what you've been doing in the Air Force? Yeah, so... Uh, how you've been here? Right, I've been in the Air Force for 26 years. Um, and I'm an intelligence officer by trade. Um, lately, a, more of a cyberspace operations officer as well. So um, I've been in uh, command of the, the group here for about uh, the last uh, year or so. And before that, I was the, the deputy commander of the group. So I've gotten to work with these folks for, um, for the last uh, uh, three uh, years or so. And then prior to that, I was one of the squadron commanders in the group as well, but more on the intelligence side than the cyber ops side. So. So we're t you're talking to a couple of army people. Oh yeah. So when <laughs> there's a couple of uh, units that I saw on the front mm -hmm. sign out there, two five two, two six two. What do those so, differences? Uh, so the two five two cyber operations group is the parent unit for the two six two cyber operations squadron, which is the other unit that's here in the building. And we also have uh, the one forty third cyber operations squadron, which is over on Camp Murray. Um, they perform a similar function to the two six two here. And then uh, within the group, I also have the 194th Intelligence Squadron over on Camp Murray. And then I also have the 256 Intelligence Squadron uh, that's over at Fairchild. And the 242 uh, uh, Combat Communications Squadron also okay. over on Fairchild. Okay. So, and for the Army people, a squadron is sort of like a battalion. Right. But with sure. less people generally since the Air yes. Force is a little smaller. Here we have smaller, smaller yes. Yeah. Right, smaller and the, formations. the group would be more like a, a brigade or command. Right. Yep. Okay. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. It all makes sense now. Yeah. Now, now it's all coming together. <laughs> yep. So it's it's pretty serendipitous that we made this happen today, uh, in the month of October. Seeing and we just now realizing and learning today from Sarah, she said that t this month October is mm -hmm. Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So that's don't be modest. I'm sure you did that on purpose. One hundred percent. We did Excellent. not do it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um, what is cybersecurity? Just describe, yeah, describe cybersecurity. You know, yeah. And, and, and. So um, that, that's a big question with a, a, a large answer. I'm going to try and uh, nutshell it down uh, as much as I can. So everything seems to be connected to the internet one way or another uh, these days. Everything seems to be run by a computer one way or another, whether it's our cars or our refrigerators or our, our phones, everything, um, everything's all tied together. Uh, one of the problems that we've, uh, we, we we're beginning to encounter is all this stuff was really initially designed just to work. Uh, we just wanted to make sure that when we pushed button A, uh, light bulb A came on. That's really what, what we, we, we meant to have happen. Um, 
the, the problem with that is we didn't necessarily design security uh, into that loop. And so uh, we're starting to find that people are, are finding these vulnerabilities all over the place and starting to take advantage of those things, whether it's to make money or to cause mischief or for state actors to cause harm to other state actors. And so cybersecurity is essentially the, the practice of getting to all of these things and trying to find a way to secure uh, the fact that when we push button A, light bulb A is indeed what comes on and not light bulb B. So that's so what can someone do to my coffee maker from across the world? Right. Uh, uh, the imagination reels uh, to think of what could happen <laughs> well, what to What are some coffee. of the things that, that bad actors um, can do out there? And, and really, there's there's all kinds of stuff. And and in that case, and the thing, you know, in, in, the, in the sense of like Internet of Things connected devices and, and stuff like that, you know, probably the worst harm is it could turn your your, your coffee maker into maybe an attack vector for something else. Uh, it could turn your, your coffee maker into some sort of a robot that's actually performing an attack on a website uh, at, at some other location. So it could use your coffee maker as, as, a, as a vector uh, to go after something else. Um, and then maybe worst case, you wouldn't be able to, to make uh, your coffee from, uh, you know, from your, your, your bathroom in the morning as you're trying to get ready. Um, but uh, be, because we have all these sort of IP-based devices out there, um, those, can be, those can be manipulated or changed into all kinds of different things that we, we certainly necessarily don't want them to be, to, to be changed into. And so that's kind of kind of what we're seeing and some of the breaches we've seen historically when we look at internet connected devices is that those devices are being used uh, for, for purposes that they were not originally intended for. Although if you have a Wi-Fi connected coffee maker, I think maybe just get a regular, regular old coffee. Mr. Coffee, <laughs> plug right. it into the wall. <laughs> you, you bring up an interesting point because this is a this is an interesting sort of tension, right? Uh, that's happening right now. We want things to be easier to use. We want things to be more convenient. Um, I frankly kind of wish my coffee maker was connected to Wi-Fi sometimes because if I forgot to set the timer or something, right? I'd like to be able to just jump on my phone and say, "Hey, start brewing my coffee. Let's do this." Yeah. Right? Um, I like to have the weather read to me in the Oh, okay. So I don't like to read the weather. There you go. But, like but, one less thing. But, but, the, but there's an expansion of this idea that's happening even in, in like things like critical infrastructure, so the power grid, right? right. You look at communities all across the nation, and really the sense is we want things to be easier, right? We, even the companies themselves want things to be easier. They want an operator to be able to take their laptop to Starbucks and log in and make uh, a physical manipulation of that power grid, right? They want that capability. They want that accessibility. But the problem is that when we, we incorporate that capability, we also expose ourselves to some vulnerabilities. We, we create surface area that a cyber attacker can take advantage of. And so there's this sort of continuous, how do we make things more advanced? How do we make things more uh, easier to get to um, while still keeping them secure? And some of the, sometimes the answer is, and, and you know, the real world example here would be, uh, you look at a place called the Ukraine, and back in December of 2015, uh, December 23rd of 2015, some country, can't imagine who it would have been, attacked the power grid in the Ukraine, right? right? Mm -hmm. And like a quarter million people were without power, right? For, uh, it turned out to be what it would amount to about 11 hours, right? Which in the dead of winter in the Ukraine is not great. 
but it's not a massive crisis. And the reason it's not a massive crisis is because in the Ukraine, in their power grid, they have a manual backup for almost everything uh, that they've, they've got incorporated in there. So they could send people out to their substations, they could flip a mechanical switch, and they could turn the power back on, right? right? So was it a massive disaster? Not really. Was it a really effective cyber attack? Yeah, it was. Uh, but because of the sort of old school technology you're talking about, right. have, a t- have a coffee maker that you can just flip a switch on, exactly. they were able to, to sort of overcome that, right? But not every power grid out there, especially in our own country, necessarily will have that manual switch that they can go and turn. So again, there's this tension out there of how do we automate things, how do we make things easier to do from a distance, but still maintain that cybersecurity uh, element uh, of, of everything we do. Like how high tech is too high tech. Right. <laughs> and in some cases, what we're finding and, and you know, um, some of the discussion that came up a little bit earlier was, you know, for a while here in Washington State, we had this ability to do email voting, right? Somebody could actually send what amounted to like an Adobe file across the internet and it had their uh, their voting ballot uh, attached to it. Well, um, that's a really easy way to do things and that's great and it's really a, a super accessible way to vote. Is it super secure in terms of cybersecurity? It's absolutely not. And so um, based on that, you know, Secretary of State of the State of Washington said, you know what, we're not going to do that anymore because we've got some realities that we have to sort of face up to in terms of what the cybersecurity threat is out there and that's something that is probably too high tech right now uh, with the way we do things. We've been working with the Secretary of State's office since uh, about the middle of the year. And uh, the great thing about working with Secretary Wyman's office is that they are uh, super focused on cybersecurity and they have been for a long time, uh, which is great. Um, so we've gone through a couple different phases uh, of our mission. So we've gone through a couple different uh, two-week cycles where we've worked with the I2 folks and the, and the cybersecurity folks who actually work with the Secretary of State's office directly. Uh, and we've just been sort of looking at the systems uh, as a whole. Uh, we've been looking at kind of how um, how the voter registration databases are put together, how we do voting here in the state of Washington, what potential attack vectors there might be in there. We've been incorporating um, and sort of methodology in terms of what are what are best practices out there, um, not only um, in terms of like how we look at things from a military perspective, but really also industry. What are best best practices with things like passwords? What are best practices with things like uh, sort of uh, two-factor authentication and those sorts of things? And and just sort of discussing with uh, the Secretary Wyman's office about, you know, hey, here's some ways we think that um, overall uh, you could enhance your, your cybersecurity posture. Again, good news for us here in Washington is we have a, we have a great system. And, you know, frankly, I, I don't know if it was great foresight, could have been, or we could have lucked into the fact that we've got uh, a hard ballot here in the, in the state of Washington that we mail in that provides a, a fantastic audit trail. So if you have any suspicion about um, what the election results are here in Washington, uh, we have something we can go back to and look at. Other states, not as lucky. Sometimes there's e-voting that goes on in other states, um, kind of like the email voting we talked about we, we've done away with here in Washington. Sometimes they have voting machines um, that were created to work maybe back in the mid-2000s, and they weren't necessarily designed with cybersecurity in mind. So those systems are a little more difficult to secure, and if something does go wrong, it's a little more difficult to, to nail down the audit trail of, hey, what, what was that vote really supposed to be? Um, we're lucky in Washington in the sense that we've, uh, we've got the system we've got, and, and the Secretary of State's office has been very uh, forward-thinking in terms of what they've been doing for cybersecurity. Is there any plans for you guys to go national with helping on election security or assisting them in some way with assessments or a way forward? 
Yeah, it's a tricky thing. Um, and, and the reason for that is that because we're the National Guard uh, and we're doing everything right now, what we call state active duty, we're essentially doing everything in, in the same status we'd be doing them if we were fighting forest fires in the middle of the state, right? And so uh, we really fall under the direction of the governor and we fall under the direction of, of the, you know, the adjutant general and, and we're working with the secretary of state's office. And so it's a little bit trickier when you try and um, move that authority across to another state. The other state has to sort of ask for that help, uh, first of all, which is which is one thing, and then you have to have sort of the resources to provide that help. Um, and and so it becomes a little bit um, it becomes a little bit tougher. The other thing that we face here is that um, every state system is different, and so you really have to start from ground zero um, with every assessment that you're doing, uh, because everybody kind of has it's it's each of the states' um, electoral systems are run by that state sector of state. And so sometimes, you know, they'll just have widely different systems that some of the lessons we learn here in Washington may not be applicable to something that may be happening, say, in Montana or Ohio or wherever. Uh, and so it's, um, you really have to kind of start over every time. And we frankly just don't have the capacity. As great as it would be to try and help us, you know, as much as possible, um, we leave um, sort of the national level discussion about enhancing election cybersecurity uh, too. Well, actually, to Homeland Security. Okay. And the reason for that is that um, the electoral system has been named as the 17th um, sort of entity within the critical infrastructure, um, the, you know, the bodies of critical infrastructure out there that include things like the power grid and the water system and the transportation system and the the, uh, the banking system and things like that. The electoral system is one of those critical infrastructure pieces. And so the DHS is really responsible for making sure from a national perspective uh, that those systems across the nation are secured to the greatest extent they can be. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, looking around the the state, I noticed you there's there's uh, high tech companies out there like Microsoft and Amazon and everything located here. What what do you you guys? We you have people who are you know that actually work there, and how are you guys able to yeah leverage their uh, their expertise? Yeah, we're um, here in Washington State. We're incredibly lucky in terms of the cyber operations realm. Um, really, only about twenty percent of our uh, airmen in the Washington Air Guard are full-time. The other 80% are part-time uh, traditional guardsmen. Um, and so you're right. Uh, they work for all kinds of companies out there. Uh, in some cases, they work for, for local banks. Uh, they work for places like Amazon. They work for places like Google. They work for places like Microsoft. Uh, we've got folks who actually travel to Washington from out of state who work for some of these big companies as well. Um, in some cases, we've got uh, folks who are independent contractors who focus on things in the, in the cybersecurity realm. We've got folks who keynote talks at like Black Hat and, and things like that. Uh, we got folks who are nationally recognized experts and are published in all kinds of magazines and newspapers and things like that um, uh, with things like, hey, what, what about what about the security of medical devices? You know, things like that. We've got, we've got folks who've uh, done extensive studies in, in, in all kinds of critical infrastructure uh, areas. And so, you know, it's it's great when I can go down my you know during drill I can I can go down my list of folks and I've got um, in one case a, a staff sergeant who's say head of security response uh, for you know um, phishing attacks at say Microsoft right that's like they'll, mm-hmm. they'll just they'll just say they, they drive by the way much nicer cars than I do <laughs> uh, which is fantastic 
um, and, you know, and, and we've got a lot of folks like that who, you know, they, they sort of produce that, that resume and you're like, you gotta be kidding me, this is so great. And the reason that they um, not only do what they do in the civilian world, but then work with us is because they, they get to do cool stuff here. We just get to do cool stuff. We get to do all kinds of things at the national level where we're enhancing uh, cybersecurity. And so what those folks bring though is um, absolute, not like cutting edge knowledge of what the latest and greatest threat is in cyberspace and how to deal with it. And so um, these are folks who, and, and by the way, the cybersecurity realm, if there's anything that changes day to day, um, it's, it's cybersecurity threats. And so the fact that we can leverage that kind of expertise uh, here in the Washington Guard to apply to uh, not only federal but state problems, uh, we're just very, very lucky. And not every, not every state is as lucky. If they do have those high-tech companies, they might not have the military units that they can kind of leverage those skill sets in. Or if they do have those units, they might not have, have those high-tech companies that they can pull from uh, for their, for their uh, manning. So we're, we're very fortunate. Do you, do you guys go through some kind of like a recruiting push recently or how do you how do you grab those those folks and, and bring them over here you know it, it's uh, it's amazing it kind of works in two different directions so in, in one sense we've uh, we've got all kinds of folks who work out in these companies and you know they'll be like hey you want to do something this weekend no I can't I've got drill this weekend what, what's drill well let me tell you about drill and they'll start sharing the knowledge of the guard and sharing what they do uh, in the guard with their fellow co-workers out there in the civilian sector and so one day recruiting a lot of those folks who are like, well, that, that sounds cool. I want to do some of that. Uh, and there's all, obviously all kinds of military benefits that go with that. And so we're, we're able to bring a lot of folks in from uh, from the civil sector just by word of mouth um, and folks doing a great job of, of recruiting uh, as, as individuals. But then from the other angle, um, we, we actually bring folks in off active duty. Uh, we, we actually send folks off to basic training and tech school and we bring them in and they end up working side by side with a lot of these folks who you know, might work for, for Microsoft or Amazon, whatever, during the week. And they say, hey, Sergeant uh, Snuffy is super smart with, uh, with this stuff. And actually, we got a bunch of openings right now at, in my division, and we're looking for folks with that skill set. And so we'll have folks who, with no prior experience whatsoever, who will learn the skills here in the Guard. And then because of the associations they're able to make with these high-tech sectors uh, here and the individuals who are working with us on the traditional Guard side, they'll be able to get some, some fantastic jobs. Um, and so it's it kind of works both directions, and it works pretty well. It's a fantastic cycle. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so talk to me about about the the mission of the two sixty, right? Or two. So two five two um, is, is the group. Uh, okay, and, the group. Right, okay. Right. And so um, a bunch of different missions underneath the two five two. There. We have uh, five different units. Uh, two of those units do cyber operations, which is mostly what we've been talking about here. So defensively minded cyber operations. Um, and the federal mission there is to secure uh, federal systems. So weapon systems and things like that in the in the Air Force or, or the Joint Force, if you will. Um, one of those uh, units is, um, is the 256. They do uh, cyber intelligence surveillance and reconnaissance, so they'll actually be out there looking for, for the bad guys in cyberspace. Some more forward 
yeah, actively they're, they're, pro. Um, it's it's an intelligence mission uh, at heart, and so that's you know they're they're out there looking for the adversary. Essentially, is what it boils down to. Um, and then uh, we've also got some uh, other cats and dogs within the group. One of them is a kinetic uh, targeting unit. That's the 194th Intelligence Squadron, and so they do um, anytime there's a, there's a weapon in the inventory uh, that has a GPS uh, antenna on it, which more and more of those weapons tend to have those. Um, it has to at some point pass through a unit like the 194th IS, which is uh, uh, one of the other units in the group. And then we have um, the 242 Combat Communications Squadron, and that's a unit that um, is another cyberspace operations uh, type unit, but they will, they're able to go to things like bare bases uh, and actually set up things like uh, telephone systems and networks in, in both the unclassified and classified realms uh, and provide services to, uh, to, to clients uh, in, those, in those areas. So. What kind of tactics and manipulation are you seeing from adversaries? Like, yeah. So, um, what we find uh, more often than not is um, most of the big threats we see out there, um, the vectors that they're using are sort of tried and true. We're not seeing something uh, every week or every month or every year that's like, oh my gosh, this is a completely new zero-day exploit that we're being, you know, we're being exploited in ways that we have never been exploited before. Um, generally, what what we find in cyberspace operations and defensive cyberspace operations is, is that there are some sort of tried and true tactics that that tend to get folks where they need to be. And so, uh, more often than not. We see tons of what's called spear phishing. Uh, what that means is that um, if somebody's trying to get into a certain organization or a certain agency, they'll actually do a bunch of research and they'll go to like web pages and they'll say, "Oh, well, this person has a very high level of responsibility in this company or this, you know, this this agency or this organization." And oh, look, right there on the public website, there's their email address. All right. And then uh, they'll find, you know, they'll do all kinds of research and do all kinds of, of intelligence gathering, and they'll say, "Oh, this is a company that these folks work with all the time," and you know, they'll find ways to mimic emails, and they'll actually uh, send things like attachments into these sort of high-placed people in these companies, and folks who um, sort of don't know what to look for, or sort of just make a mistake, or or whatever, will click that attachment sometime, and and in so doing, they'll create a vulnerability uh, in their own system. And so more often than not. We sort of see this happen over and over again. Uh, this sort of the same tactic to, to get in. So when you say you see this kind of stuff, like how do you how do you see it? Yeah, unfortunately, we we usually see it after the fact. Yeah, you know, it's it's usually oh my gosh, that was terrible. Um, Sony just got hacked, you know, whatever. And I, we didn't do anything with the Sony hack. I'm just talking, you know, um, philosophically and, and theoretically. But um, you kind of have to go back and do the forensics and say, well, what? How did this? Where did this start? Where did this person get in? Where did this individual, this agency, whatever, get in? And more often than not, they tend to track it back to ah. Ah, this is where this uh, attachment got clicked and that introduced this malware into the system which opened up a, a doorway into the network that we really didn't know anything about and couldn't do anything about so um, I wish I could tell you that you know we're just sort of seeing this stuff live and we're actively you know uh, countering it uh, um, so you're not looking at day. a screen with matrix type that would be, that would be awesome uh, like feverishly a giant right, binary right, screen <laughs> we are unfortunately not there yet uh, we uh, yeah we unfortunately usually just have to, to pick up the pieces uh, after this stuff happens and and really this you know this goes back to you know <laughs> the biggest vulnerability in every system and every network 
it tends to be us. It tends to be the people. Um, and it's not that we're dumb. It's not that we're you know ill-trained. Uh, it's just that um, you know we're used to doing things a certain way, and we're used to trusting certain individuals, and we're used to trusting certain processes. Um, but that's generally uh, we're still at the point now where that is that's where the the soft underbelly of every network is going to be. You can put in all kinds of firewalls and all kinds of security postures and things like that. But if you have users who just don't do the right thing that one time, you do the right thing a thousand times and you miss it once, and that's going to open that door. Sadly, you don't even really have to be all that clever with this stuff. A lot of times when we start an assessment, a cyber assessment, um, oftentimes whoever we're working with, whoever the client happens to be, uh, will want us to do uh, a penetration test, which is what they call that. You know, it's the, hey, see if you can get in. Uh, we usually just say, you know what? We'd really rather not waste our time. And the reason we say that is because we're gonna get in. Yeah. Like we're gonna get in. We take it for granted that we're gonna get in because any attacker is 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 probably gonna get in, you know? Um, and uh, even with folks who have a very good cybersecurity posture who, who, who we've worked with in the past, um, I think of one uh, incident where we were very selective about the emails we sent out. And we agreed, you know, ultimately it was somebody bet a case of beer on whether we could get into their system. And, you know, if there's a case of beer on the line, we're going to step up and we're going to make that happen. Uh, but what we ended up doing uh, with this very large company is we sent eight emails. And uh, the first click came back in 11 minutes. And of those eight emails we sent out, we got six clicks. We only needed one. Right. Um, and, but that's the thing. It's, it's not a hard thing to do. And, and you don't even, and, and by the way, our attack wasn't particularly sophisticated and it wasn't particularly trustworthy. And to me, if I'd seen it come into my box, just you know, based on what, what I've seen in the past, I wouldn't have touched it. But um, uh, it works. It just works. And, and, and you know, even if folks are ready for it, it, uh, it works sometimes. So. How can people learn about all this stuff and how can they protect themselves? Right. And and that's something where we just have to get smarter, you know, and uh, I if if somebody has has previously intended to spearfish me, I'm positive they would have gotten me. I'm sure it would have worked. But, you know, some of the things I like to think about um, as, as I kind of go through my, my cyber life, which I'm like everybody else. I've got phones and I've got an iPad and I've got all this stuff and I've got all got these things coming for all the time. You know, it's Absolutely. Like um, but I'm, I'm pretty, if I get something from somebody who I know that looks kind of weird, like if one of my friends sends me an email with an attachment that I, I don't know is coming, honestly, I'm probably gonna like maybe text him first or I'm gonna call him first get, hey, this just came to me, is that really from you? Just to be sure, first of all. Um, I'm, I'm very hesitant to sort of click on anything or any links or any, any attachments or anything unless I absolutely know those are supposed to be coming to me. Um, and so that's sort of just a habit people uh, kind of need to get into. Um, honestly, if, if I get something from my bank that says, hey, uh, you know, here's some stuff going on and we need you to click here and update your information, uh, I will usually not click there. I will not, no, I won't do any email. I will, I, will de I will delete that email and I will usually just go straight to my bank's yep. webpage um, mm -hmm. and, and go look for that because it's going to be out there somewhere or I'll call customer service or I'll do whatever um, because that's that's exactly how people uh, get fished. It's like, oh yeah, that's my bank and that's my account number and that's all my stuff and absolutely uh, I can click on that and that's, that's when it happens, you know, and so, um, uh, 
in every case, at, I'm not. I'm. I'm no longer trust but verify. I'm just verify uh, at this point. And and that's uh, we as users. That's you know. It's just a cultural mind, mindset shift. Uh, it's going to take time, and, and it's not going to work for everybody. And some folks just won't get there. Uh, but that's kind of where you know. As long as this stuff keeps working, the adversary is going to keep doing it uh, for sure. Yeah. So. Do you guys have to do the cyber awareness challenge? Oh, yes, we do. So, I mean, year. based off of your experience yeah. with, you know, your, the unit here and, mm-hmm. and everything and seeing what you've, you've seen, do you feel like that's effective training? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, Is it as good as it's going to get? I, you know, I, so I will, I will not, uh, I, will, I will throw no spears at the cyber awareness training. Um, I have, I'm the, the person, by the way, who constantly, I get the, the notifications yeah, on the I'm and it's five days, five days left, and then it's four, and then it's three, and then like, and then and your account like, turns oh, off, and you really it. need and to I, do the cyber challenge. I just, like, that's the only place I can go, and I'm stuck, <laughs> right, I'm stuck going, so I'm that guy, for sure. Um, however, I would tell you that, you know, we're, we're kind of lucky to have that, and, and it does a good job of educating users, generally speaking. The reason I say that is because if you go to, like, even, say, state agencies here in Washington, if you go to other if you look at other countries and the way they do things, like no such thing exists, right? There is no such thing. And and frankly, their vulnerability level is just much higher, you know, because they, we are going to be the weakest link in every, every every cybersecurity chain. It's going to be us. And so as much as we hate that, and I know we do, I'm right there with you, um, I think it's important. And I, I think that uh, it, it certainly shores up some uh, things for us that, frankly, we, we need to shore up. So... Is it still relevant, though, or you think maybe? Oh, I think so. And yeah. like I said, it, it, and the reason it's relevant is because that the, the the tactics, techniques, and procedures that the adversary used ten years ago, they're using today. Right. Because it's it works, you know, because it works. So yeah. So yeah, more more blue sweater vests in your future. <laughs> uh, you know John's gonna about. tell me how good I am at <laughs> combating the, looking guy. Yeah. the cyber attacks. Right. <laughs> yep. So we're public sure. affairs officers. Uh, we work in the information operations. And when we were up in your interview earlier, you you alluded to this. So in our sphere of of influence. Yep. Um, cyber attack with fake news, false news, alternative documents is a huge issue. Yep. Um, and it, it's really one of the reasons I think that people lose confidence in the electoral system or in their voting system. Um, how is there anything we can do? Do we just have to figure out like how to make sure the truth is getting pushed out? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, and, and it's a tough, it's, it's a, a tough, t- thing. it's tough, um, and and it's uh, it's unregulated. Well, it is unregulated, but you know, from our perspective, I guess from our perspective, in terms of folks who are working, in, in this case, let's just take you know election cybersecurity as an example. If we're working with with the Secretary of State's office, making sure everybody's on the same page in terms of messaging, uh, making sure that that message remains consistent. Um, and, and making sure that you know we're 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 addressing concerns as they come up, um, it, it's it's going to have to be a, a factor. And and really, you know, it, it doesn't matter at the end of the day if there's really a threat or not, or if there's something that horrible that's happened or not. If people believe that there's a problem, and people believe that something horrible has happened, there, you know, it's gonna it's gonna affect uh, things like the election. And so, uh, just sort of. Being consistent and staying on top of things is is uh, ultimately important. Um, 
uh, New York Times article today actually talking about um, a lot of entities within the United States taking a bunch of pages out of the Russian playbook for the 2016 election. And so a lot of things happening on social media where these these weird messages are getting put out, put, put out these, these banners are getting put out, these uh, messages out there really just to incite everybody. It's not like one side or another, but just to make sort of everybody mad, make everybody upset, make everyone doubt, um, you know, that they have any sort of voice in the outcome of anything. Like that's happening. Well, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, so. it's the it's the doesn't matter your party affiliation, right. your your political belief or anything. It's it's casting doubt yep. in the integrity of the system. So yeah. it's it's definitely something I I know we have to work with. Yeah. As all well as driving as, a well, wedge between us, you yeah. know what I mean, with I driving mean, us all apart. Right, exactly. Yeah, and if that effort wins and we allow that to win and we don't sort of, sort of do our due diligence to sort of follow up and figure out what is the truth, then we all, we're all going to lose on that one. So, mm-hmm. going to start at the elementary level, like with the next generations <laughs> sure of kids, so. trying to instill, like, you know, how to discern whether or not they're what they're looking at is, yeah. is true or not. Right. Yeah. Well, I don't have anything else. I don't think unless I, there's anything else that you want yeah. to share. Like no, these, uh, it, was, it was great, great talking with you, and I appreciate uh, yeah yes, what you're sir. doing, and appreciate the opportunity to be here. So it was fun. Right on. Thank, Thank you. you. Do you okay. enjoy being the cybersecurity spokesperson for the Washington National Guard? <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, I I count my lucky stars that I have so many smart people who uh, who I get to work with every day, and uh, they they make my job easy because they're awesome. So that's uh, yep. I feel lucky. Awesome. Right. Thanks. Cool.